Thank you so much, John. That leads us well into the passage that we're going to look at this morning. If you are visiting with us this morning, we're studying through the Gospel of John. We're taking section by section, working through this great Gospel. We are in chapter 18 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 27, the Gospel of John. If you're with us this morning uh, here in the auditorium or you're watching by live stream, and you don't have a Bible with you, or you don't even know how to use a Bible, that's okay. Uh, if you're here this morning, um, there are Bibles in the pews, uh, or in the chairs, I should say underneath the chairs in front of you, that you can use. In fact, if you're visiting with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take that Bible with you and make it your own. If you're watching by live stream, um, you can contact us. We would love to send you a free Bible. Um, we, it would be our pleasure and joy uh, to do that. If you do have a Bible, I, we're going to look at those uh, verses, verses 12 through 27. This seems like a long passage of Scripture, and it is, but I don't want you to be intimidated by that. Um, bear with me this morning. Um, this is a unit. It all fits together and has to go together, and that's why we're considering these verses. In fact, from John chapter 18 through the end of the book, John chapter 21, the type of literature, I think I mentioned this briefly last week, the type of literature we're looking at is historical narrative. A little different than the first 17 chapters, heavy content teaching of Jesus in those chapters, but now in the historical narrative, things move rapidly, they move quickly. And so the passages we will look at in these last few chapters are going to be just a little bit longer. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 18 where Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot and then arrested. And we saw, I won't go into a lot of detail because you could go back and listen to the sermon if you wanted to, but amazing as Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane as that great battalion, that great detachment of soldiers comes, Jesus is in complete control. Complete control. He voluntarily gives himself. We see as he speaks, and the soldiers all fall down at the very words of his mouth. John's the only one who records that. But now, as we ended, or excuse me, as we ended last week, I said Jesus would then be bound and led off like a common criminal. In this section of scripture, very important. It's almost like a movie. It's almost like a novel. We move from one scene to another scene, back to the former scene, and then back to the other scene. This is about Jesus' trial, and it's about Peter's denial. So there's Peter's, excuse me, there's Jesus' trial, then we move to Peter's denial, then we move back to Jesus' trial, then we move back again to Peter's denial. There is a reason the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recorded these events this way. You are to see this morning the great calm and strength of our Savior contrasted with the cowardice and weakness of Peter. Back and forth. The strength and calmness of our Savior contrasted with the cowardice and weakness of Peter. Now, in the message, 
I want to look at the trial, all the verses related to the trial together, then all the verses related to his denial together. But as I read this, I want to read it for you. Bear with me as I read this passage. I want you to see that contrast, and then we're going to come back to it at the end of the message. So in verses 12 through 27, we read, So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, What I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Well, our first point this morning is Jesus' trial. I want to put these verses together as I mentioned to you. After the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is arrested, bound, and sent to trial. He had willingly gave, given himself up, but yet they had sent this great battalion of soldiers, and now, even as we saw last week, he is led away like a common criminal. In verse 12, it says, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. In verse 13, it says, first they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, a little historical background here is going to be helpful and necessary for us. There were two men at this time in the history of Israel who were extremely powerful. One of them was Annas and the other was Caiaphas. Annas was high priest and Caiaphas was high priest. In verse 19 it says that Annas is high priest. 
in verses 13 and 24, it says that Caiaphas is high priest. How can we have two high priests when there can only be one high priest each year in Israel? And the reason is because Annas had become perhaps the most powerful man in all of Israel. He was wealthy, he was powerful, he was intimidating. He was the leader of the Jewish religious leaders. He was the leader of the leaders. He was a very wealthy man and owned a lot. In fact, he was intimidating to Rome. And so Rome asked him that he not continue in this role for they feared the power that he had, but they allowed him to appoint the high priest each year and Annas, as a master manipulator, always appointed one of his relatives. In fact, right now, at this particular time, he appoints, his appointed high priest is his son-in-law, Caiaphas. So you have Annas and you have Caiaphas. And so first, they lead Jesus to Annas. This did two things. Number one, it gave Caiaphas time to assemble the Sanhedrin in an illegal trial during the middle of the night. So he's around gathering all of the members of the Jewish religious council. And in the meantime, they take him to Annas. And Annas was the kind of man, if you were a religious leader at this time, you didn't do anything until you ran it by Annas. You better think what you better find out what Annas thinks before this thing goes any further. And then in verse 14, it says it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. This isn't going to be on the screen, but back in John chapter 11, the Jewish religious leaders were all upset, upset because of the power and influence of Jesus. And they don't know what to do. But it says, one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. This was actually a prophecy. He didn't realize he was prophesying about how Jesus would give his life. But Caiaphas said early on, this man needs to die. This man needs to die or the Romans are going to come and they're going to take away all of our privilege and all of our power that we have. Now, let's drop down to verses 19 through 24, the other part of the trial. And I want you to notice that even though everything about the trial of Jesus is illegal and filled with false accusations, Jesus remains calm and fully in control. I want you to catch that. Now, again, a little bit of background here I think will be helpful. Almost everything about Jesus' trial was illegal, unjust, and unfair. It was illegal in a Hebrew religious court of law to try someone, especially on a capital crime, at night. But that's exactly when they're doing it. It was illegal to take an innocent man, and you were innocent until presumed guilty, just like in our own culture. This is where we derive a lot of what is in our own culture and court system. 
you were considered innocent until proven guilty. It was illegal to take a man to trial based on a bribe or blood money. And that's exactly what they did with Jesus. It was the bribe and blood money paid to Judas Iscariot that allowed them to bring Jesus to trial. It was illegal to ask a criminal or an accused person, I should say, it was illegal to ask an accused person to incriminate himself. You had to bring forth witnesses, and yet they continually ask Jesus, what are your teachings? They're looking for ways that he will say something that will condemn himself, which was illegal. It was illegal to announce a verdict on an accused person until one to two days after the trial, but as we move forward in the Gospel of John, we will see that he's accused that, or excuse me, the verdict is reached that very night. It was illegal to strike someone during a trial. Trials were supposed to be emotionless, and yet we're going to see in just a minute that Jesus is struck by one of the soldiers during his trial. But I loved what one writer pointed out. We could look carefully at all of these illegal means that they used. And a lot has been written about this. But if we dwell on all the aspects that are illegal and unjust, we're going to miss the point. Here's the point. They wanted Jesus dead. Jesus was a major threat to the Jewish religious leaders, to their power, to their wealth, to their influence among the people. They knew it. And so they are now willing to do whatever it takes to see him die. Folks, you need to know this this morning. This is not a trial. It is a premeditated plot to murder Jesus. Okay? This is not a trial. This is a premeditated plot to murder Jesus. In verse 19, it says, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Verses 20 and 21, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard. Ask those who have heard, heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. I have done nothing in secret. Everything that I have said is open and public. Bring them in. Bring them in. They can testify to you. I taught in the synagogues. I taught in the temple courts. I taught on the hillsides. Everything I've done is open and public. I haven't done anything in secret. In verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers stand, standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? As I said before, this was illegal. A judge was supposed to be completely without emotion. There was to be no bias in a courtroom setting 
by either the judge or anyone else associated with the trial. And this is a soldier who probably wanted to impress the high priest, maybe became frustrated with Jesus, got caught up in the emotion of the moment, and he just strikes him on the face. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but what I said is right, why do you strike? See, Jesus is so calm. He's so in control here. What is it that I said that caused you to strike me? Tell me. Well, verse 24, I think Annas is probably becoming frustrated with this whole thing. Plus, he probably figures that Caiaphas has now drawn together the Sanhedrin. It's time to move this to the next part of the trial. Verse 24, Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And so that's where we're left with the trial. Our second point this morning is Peter's denial. While Jesus was a pillar of calm and strength during his trial, Peter experienced one of his life's weakest and darkest moments. I'm going to have them put this on the screen, but this is, there is a, a passage from the Upper Room Discourse that we looked at a couple of months ago. I want you to have this clear in your minds. John chapter 13, verses 37 and 38. Jesus has said, he's talking about his crucifixion, where I am going now you cannot follow, but you will follow me after. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. If we were to go to Mark chapter 14, Jesus, excuse me, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, even if everyone else falls away, I will never fall away. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus. This is after the Garden of Gethsemane. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Now, again, we need to know a little bit about first century architecture. As I mentioned, Annas was a very powerful man, extremely wealthy. Hard for us to understand how wealthy he was. And it's likely that he and Caiaphas lived, though in separate parts of the building, in the same residence. And so in a wealthy home at this time, think of almost like an an old European castle type setting, the buildings would be in a square and there would be a large outdoor courtyard right in the middle, right in the middle. So if you can imagine that, sometimes you see or you see scenes of an old historic college campus where there are buildings all around and then in the middle is this large outdoor courtyard. You couldn't get into the courtyard of the high priest without permission. And so there is another disciple who is unnamed, 
who entered with Jesus into the, notice, the courtyard of the high priest. We don't know who this unnamed disciple is. Historically, the traditional understanding is that this is the Apostle John. It's the Apostle John, because likely Peter and John came together. We don't know why John was known to the high priest and to his servants, but evidently he was. Now, just as a real quick side note, there's some debate about who this disciple, this unnamed disciple is. There are some who think this may have been Nicodemus or maybe Joseph of Arimathea because they were known to be sympathetic to Jesus and perhaps gave access to Peter. But it seems to flow better if we see John and Peter coming from the garden to the courtyard. So Peter had to be given access. Verse 16, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. There was a servant girl. The grammar here indicates most likely a young girl or a young woman, I should say, probably a young woman, and she is guarding the gate, and Peter couldn't get in until she gave him per permission, and so the unnamed disciple, perhaps John, gets him access into the courtyard. So John probably goes into the back of the large meeting room where they're trying Jesus. Peter goes into the courtyard, and then we come to this really momentous verse in verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Here is Peter. Last week we saw him, didn't we? He's ready to take up his sword and fight the entire battalion of Roman soldiers and temple guards. He was ready to fight. He says to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. He said, even if everyone else falls away, I will never fall away. A young woman says to him, are you one of his disciples? He says, no, I'm not. Peter was afraid. Peter got caught off guard. This was an intense moment. They were trying Jesus. As we go through this, I want you to understand, Peter's afraid. He's afraid of people. He's afraid of what they will think. He's afraid of what they will say. He's afraid of what they might do to him. Verse 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So he's now with some servants and officers, just ordinary people standing around a fire. Drop down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it said, I am not. He's afraid. His emotions are churning. He said, I am not. 
we go to the Gospel of Matthew. He said, I do not know him. I don't even know the man. In verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, did I not see you in the garden with him? So there's a relative of the guy whose ear Peter cut off. Remember last week, Peter just swung his sword wildly, cut off this guy's ear. Luke tells us that Jesus immediately healed the ear. But now there's somebody there who is a relative of this guy who got his ear cut off. He says, I know you. You were in the garden with Jesus. Verse 27. Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. If we go to the Gospel of Matthew, it says that Peter called down a curse on himself. Took an oath. Said, I don't even know the man. It is Luke who gives us the most heartbreaking account of this. Jesus is being moved at this moment in the sovereignty of God from Annas to go to Caiaphas. Luke 22, verses 61 and 62. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The sovereignty of God, it was so arranged that just as Peter denied him the third time, calling down a curse, an oath from heaven, Jesus was being moved, and Jesus looks into the eyes of Peter. And as one writer said, Jesus suffered under Annas, under Caiaphas, eventually under Pontius Pilate. But perhaps nothing broke Jesus' heart more than that one of his most loyal followers said, I don't even know you. And three times denied that he was one of his followers. Let me try to bring this to a conclusion this morning. There are some important lessons. There are some important lessons for each of us to learn as we consider the contrast between Jesus and Peter. <clears throat> I want you to think with me. Jesus told the truth while Peter lied. He lied. Jesus was strong. Well, Peter was weak. Jesus was confident. Well, Peter was afraid. What happened to Peter? It's so important for us this morning. As John Kresge prayed this morning, he said, we're all Peter. He's exactly right. That's right in my notes there. You are Peter. I am Peter. What happened? 
What happened to Peter? I want to offer three suggestions, three thoughts. This could be a whole sermon, but just as we close, three thoughts on what happened to Peter. First, Peter was self-confident. He was overconfident. And he was a disciple of Jesus. He was an apostle. He was not just a disciple and an apostle. He was part of Jesus' inner circle. anyone was going to stand strong, it would be Peter, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? He didn't think he could fall. But you know, that happens to us. We just get overconfident. And I've been a Christian for like 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I, I know a lot about the Bible. I know all kinds of things about the Bible. I've been going to church for years. But you know what happens? to drift away from those intimate times with God where we're alone where we see our desperate need for Jesus where we come to him in childlike faith we got this and I hear about other Christians falling but not me second Peter wasn't prepared he was ready to take on the Roman soldiers and the temple guards. I will lay down my life for you, Lord. If everyone else falls away, I will never fall away. But he gets tripped up by a young servant girl. He's caught off guard. It was in the little things. He becomes intimidated. He becomes afraid. As I said, he was afraid of what they might think, what they might say, what they might do to him. You know, we're a lot like Peter in that. Man, and I think this pertains to a lot of us today. Man, we are ready to take up our swords and we're going to go fight those liberals in Washington, D.C. I'll tell you, we are ready. We're going to take up the sword and we're going to fight the culture wars. Then we get tripped up in the little things. It's the little things, folks. We get involved in conversations at work, at school, with our friends. We end up gossiping, backbiting, saying things we shouldn't say. We get in trouble with our tongues. We say things to other Christians that are hurtful, shouldn't be said. We sit alone at home at our computer screen. We go places we shouldn't go, see things we shouldn't see. In our minds, we harbor bitterness or anger towards someone or something. And we just let it fester and fester and fester. And it grows and grows. It's the little things. Those are the things that bring us down. Number three, P 
Peter was not yet a man of prayer. John doesn't bring this out, but the other gospel writers do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying so intensely his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. But when he would go back to Peter and to James and John, that inner circle, they were sleeping. You see, we need to be on guard because our prayer lives become lazy. We do. We become lazy in our prayer lives. We get busy. We have the best intentions in our hearts, but our intense, intimate times of prayer aren't what they used to be and not what they should be. I want to say this to every one of us. If you don't think you could fall into deep sin, you are living a delusional, self-deceived Christian life. If you don't think you, you forget about everyone else in this place, if you don't think you could fall into deep sin, you are living a delusional, self-deceived Christian life. You are Peter. And so am I. It could happen to me. It could happen to the other pastors. It could happen to our elders, any of them. It could happen to our deacons. It could happen to anyone in this congregation. Folks, that's why we're having you, challenging you to memorize John 15, verses 1 through 11. We're not doing that because it's just, that's a good thing to do. Oh, Pastor Tim, that's, isn't that great? Pastor Tim wants us to memorize some Bible verses. No, John 15, verses 1 through 11 are your survival. Peter had those words spoken to him before he went to the garden, before he went to the courtyard, but he didn't practice them. Jesus said, unless you abide in me, you cannot bear good fruit. You cannot. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said that to you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Every day, moment by moment, not just hour by hour, but moment by moment, you need to have a desperate, desperate dependence on Jesus. That he is everything to you. You cannot do this apart from him. Apart from him, you you have the potential to fall into sin beyond what you can imagine in your mind. And may Peter be a reminder of that to all of us. We're going to close with a song. My sins, they are many, as mercy is more. Every day, every one of us needs to give ourselves over and over again to the mercy of Christ because that's where our victory lies. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the courage and calm of our Savior when he was treated unjustly and unfairly. But remind each of us, Father, please remind each of us that we are like Peter. Apart from Christ, we are weak and vulnerable. We could fall just like Peter did. Please keep us in moment-by-moment's dependence in moment-by-moment moment dependence on Jesus, remind us daily that apart from you, 
we can do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen.